Welcome back to another episode of Fright Night's True Crime. I was doing some thinking, and I kind of want to change it up. I had a good idea that kind of came to me overnight. I was thinking along the lines of finding a notorious cold case in the US, except one from every state. Obviously, we're going to go in alphabetical order. So for this one, it takes place in Alabama. More specifically, the disappearance of Sherry Marler. The website that I found for a lot of the research, at least for this segment, is actually pretty cool because we get a file overview, but additionally at the end, the footnotes, if you will, there's a lot of theories based off of this case which, being that this is kind of discussion-oriented, is perfect, because we can kind of use these theories and discuss that as we go, and it might actually help so we don't have to pause so much in the middle during the case overview. With that, let's just jump right into it. The morning of June 6, 1984, started like any other for the Stringfellow family on their farm in Greenville, Alabama. Greenville, the county seat of Butler County, had a population of around 7,600 in 1984. Known as Camellia City, after it petitioned for the Camellia to become Alabama's state flower in 1959, Greenville may have seemed like an ideal quiet place to raise a family. Betty woke up early because she had to be at the Waffle House restaurant by 7am sharp for the start of her shift. After getting ready, she quietly left the house. She did not want to wake her 12 year old daughter Sherry, who was sleeping on the couch, after giving up her bed to her stepdad's aunt who was in town visiting for the week. Shortly after 9am, Sherry noticed her stepdad Raymond was backing his red pickup truck down the driveway. She raced out of the house, shoes in her hands, asking if she could go with him into town. At around 9.30am, the pair stopped at the First National Bank so Raymond could sign some papers. Sherry said she was thirsty, so Raymond gave his stepdaughter a dollar bill and told her to go buy herself a beverage at the Chevron gas station across the street. Witnesses saw Sherry walking across the parking lot by the General Telephone Building and Jernigan's Furniture Store on her way to the gas station. Fifteen minutes later, Raymond was done at the bank and went out to his truck. He was surprised that Sherry was not there waiting for him. When twenty-five more minutes passed with no sign of Sherry, panic started to set in. Raymond then called Betty at the Waffle House to see if Sherry had stopped by there for a visit. Betty said no, she had last seen her daughter that morning fast asleep on the couch. Raymond checked the obvious places for his stepdaughter, like the Chevron, but had no luck. He also asked around at the tractor shop and the feed store. Sherry's nickname was Little Farmer, for a reason. She loved everything to do with farming, including hanging out at those stores, but no one had seen her. The young girl was finally reported missing at 11.46am. Before long, a massive search effort was underway. 
volunteers combed the city and surrounding areas. An aerial search was even conducted by Crenshaw Flying Service. Family, friends, and volunteers printed off countless missing person posters and plastered them across the city and neighboring towns. Despite all the efforts, Sherry remains missing. She's a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes. When she disappeared in 1984, she was 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighed 100 to 120 pounds. She has two distinguishing marks, a 2 inch scar on her abdomen and a 1 inch scar on her back near her shoulder. Sherry was last seen wearing a long sleeved red plaid flannel shirt, light jeans, gray runners with velcro fastenings, and a watch with a black band. Okay, so that is the case overview. So, after reading, it probably seems a little bit different. Um, and honestly, I kind of like that just because it is basically bottom line up front. It tells you just the details you need to know. It doesn't include any other fluff type stuff, which I'm sure a lot of that is included in the theories. There might be a little bit more uh, spooky details as we get into these theories. So right off the bat, we have our first one. So the first theory we have is that she ran away. Did Sherry run away from home? Sherry's family thinks it is unlikely. Now obviously, it is heartbreaking to think that she would have just run away when everything seemed normal. But it is not uncommon for children to run away from home. In fact, so now we have a statistic here. In 1984, the Department of Health and Human Services reported to Congress that the number of runaway youth in the United States was more than one million. Okay, so that's, uh, that's a pretty big number, especially coming from two different departments because you have the DOH, Department of Health, and you also have Human Services. And this is a number that is reported to Congress, so keep in mind, there could be a lot more individuals or children who have run away that have not been reported by various agencies or departments. So one million in 1984 of the reported numbers to the government. That makes it a little bit more scary when you kind of look at it retrospectively because we don't know the unreported number of students or excuse me, not students, of children, well, I guess they could be students, but that have run away. So Sherry was one of those one million runaways, and this is asking a question. Her mother, Betty, has always insisted that her daughter was happy and content with no significant issues. She mentioned that Sherry had no reason to leave home, and she was excited about the plan she had made for the day that she disappeared. She was going to watch her favorite TV show and visit her grandmother. By all accounts, so all witnesses, family, friends, locals, it's a small town, she, as in Sherry, was the type of child who did what she was told and she didn't take any of her belongings with her when she headed into town. Even more, she has never once contacted her family in the decades that she has been missing. So, that theory, let's, let's kind of think here for a minute, right? 
just judged by because we got, we got to look for motive and judged by that alone sherry doesn't really have the motive to just get up and run away we could argue that most children especially that age are impulsive however there is obviously a small number that have this innate nature to kind of respect their parents and their situation and they wouldn't just get up and run away no matter how frustrating that things may seem for them but we could also say that the case never really gave us those behind the scenes details all we know is that sherry was content and had no reason to leave home i'm i'm kind of uh skeptical about the runaway theory because like i said there's no motive there's nothing that really screams that she would have the idea to run away. That's something to think about as we move into the next one. So the next one is that she was abducted, which off the bat is a lot more likely. Was Sherry abducted by a stranger? Maybe. Stranger abductions are rare but Sherry could have been kidnapped by someone as she walked across the parking lot to go buy a drink. It doesn't take long to grab a person and pull them into your vehicle. Sherry also could have been snatched from the Chevron station. Sherry's mom has pointed out that in 1984, vending machines did not give change. Maybe Sherry approached a stranger at the gas station to ask for change, and the person took advantage of the opportunity and kidnapped her. Three can or actually three unconfirmed sightings of Sherry by three different people also support the stranger abduction theory. All of the alleged sightings place Sherry with a man who looked to be around 50 years old and about 5 feet 8 inches tall. He had a husky build and a weathered complexion. One of the witnesses reported they heard the young girl call the man BJ. Disturbingly, all three witnesses told the authorities the person they believed was Sherry appeared to be very upset, disheveled, and dazed. Okay. So as I mentioned before that, I am a lot more inclined to believe this, the whole abduction theory, just because it makes a lot more sense, especially when she didn't really have a lot of motive to run away. So it says that stranger abductions are rare, which in today's day and age, if you put yourself out of 1984 into 2022, we know that unfortunately the world we live in, abductions aren't all that rare. And yeah, it's sad, but it's reality. So if we put ourselves in 1984, you know, obviously since then, it's been an incline in abductions on an average scale, right? Some years it's down, some years it's up, but on a gradual yearly or the proper term annual scale the average kind of shows it going up and if you remember she was given money to go to the gas station by herself to get a drink i don't know about y'all but you know i've been to some shady looking gas stations and i don't not not this abduction and None of that type of stuff really scares me on a day-to-day -day basis, but uh, some of these places definitely make you look around. Even me, they make me look over my shoulder and make sure that, you know, there's no ill intent around me, you know, to the best of my ability as I'm able to do so. 
um, we have another detail here too. That there were three sightings. Now it does say unconfirmed, but that could because um, could be because the sightings or the witnesses wanted to remain anonymous, and the police didn't have enough evidence to include them in this case. So that's the only reason. However, the fact that there even are sightings that Sherry could have possibly been with a man is still a lot more evidence that points to this theory versus her running away. And then it goes to talk about how she appeared to be upset, disheveled, and dazed. The dazed part, I think, is the important one here. Um, obviously, she was confused, didn't really know where or what was happening, like where she was going or what was happening or with whom that she was with. So maybe she was drugged or, you know, if she's with an older, a middle-aged man who has a husky build, sure, he's a shorter individual, but husky build, she's a child and a female, that's already kind of a vulnerable combination to have in this situation. And we supposedly have three witnesses that have confirmed this. It's interesting because it's confirmed of these statements, but the individuals themselves are unconfirmed. But I have an inclination to kind of believe this theory a little bit more. Now we have the next one, which honestly, if we put ourselves in today's world, isn't really that hard to believe. Especially if, you know, the viewers here are extremely into true crime and you've probably heard and read about a lot of other things. But this one goes into the idea that she was killed by someone that she knew. Was Sherry killed by someone she knew? It is a possibility. It is no surprise that Raymond, Sherry's stepdad, was the first person questioned by the police. He was the last person to see her, after all. Raymond cooperated with the authorities and answered all of their questions, but when they asked him to take a polygraph test, he refused. Regardless, the police have said that he was never a suspect in the case. His wife Betty was positive Raymond did not harm his stepdaughter. She said he never got over the fact that Sherry was with him when she vanished. Just before Raymond died in April 2003, he told his wife from his hospital bed, Betty, I wish I could go get Sherry and bring her home to you, but I can't because I don't know where she is. Raymond wasn't involved in Sherry's disappearance. Could it be someone else she knew? In 2018, the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office in South Carolina said Sherry had stayed with her stepsister and her stepsister's husband in the St. Stephen area near, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Betaw Road back in the summer of 1983. The authorities had received a tip that Sherry was spotted in the same area after she was reported missing in 1984. Were these family members somehow involved in Sherry's disappearance? If so, did they take her against her will? Or had Sherry actually run away from home and sought shelter in South Carolina for some unknown reason? In 2019, there is a very startling post on the Sherry Lynn Marler Still Missing Facebook page. A woman named Ryan Welch Anderson said that her and a group of volunteers had been searching tirelessly for years, 
to find out what had happened to Sherry. They found evidence they refused to keep to themselves any longer. Okay. So they actually have part of the post on here, which we'll read for sure because details matter. Especially when we're talking about cold cases. So we'll get into that. Sherry Marler was murdered and dismembered by someone she knew very well. Not her stepfather. Thrown into a hog pen in Butler County. We believe the person who murdered her is deceased. We strongly suspect there were one or two other people there at the time of her death and that they are also deceased. We strongly suspect she was pregnant at the time. We believe she was a victim of a multiple family based incest pedophilia ring that involved people from both Butler and Crenshaw counties. Okay. Um. So it does say there was a post made in 2019, which is why I just read. Kind of struggling a little bit because there's a lot of details and evidence missing that really would lead to that statement. Unless, let's see, is there... Oh, well, there is more here underneath what I just read. Maybe that'll explain it. Ryan says they unearthed a pig farm that was functional in 1984, but had since been abandoned and reclaimed by nature. The group says they have video footage of two separate cadaver dog teams confirming hits on human remains in the area. During their excavation, the group discovered clothing that was sent in for DNA testing. Greenville Police Department said no DNA evidence was found on the material. And the fabric looks more like a burlap sack than the jeans or red flannel shirt Sherry was said to be wearing when she vanished. Ryan also states that a surviving family member of the person she thinks murdered Sherry allowed her to look through a box of old photos. Some of the photos showed the pig farm up and running, and one photo in particular shocked Ryan. It was a photo of a pig standing by what she says is a severed human head that had not yet decomposed. Ryan says she took a picture of the photo with her phone. Now, the photo... Honestly, you literally cannot tell. Oh, actually... Oh yeah, uh, definitely looks like a head. But the detail is obviously pretty bad in the face. And to continue on, it says that the original photo was reportedly seized from the family member by law enforcement and turned over to the FBI. However, of course, being it's a cold case, when nothing happened with the case, Ryan called the FBI and said she was told that they had never received any such photo. It seems to be hard to tell exactly what is in the photo. It may be one of those situations where something takes the shape of something you expect to see. Whether or not Ryan and this group of searchers has found evidence of Sherry remains to be seen, but their dedication to the case and to finding answers for Sherry's loved ones cannot be questioned. Then we finish off with, what do you think happened to Sherry? Alright. Um, this is a tough one. It's definitely interesting. Um, obviously out of the theories number two just right off the bat seems to be the most believable which even if she was killed by someone that she knew it just she would have had in this situation she would have had to have been abducted anyways obviously the second one was about a stranger abduction okay 
Let's put our thinking caps on. Stranger abduction, right? Most kids, they have the stranger danger talk. Sherry seemed like she was pretty smart. I mean, she kind of had to have been, it's safe to assume that just based off of all the details we know about her and her personality. Therefore, she, she probably wouldn't just go with a random stranger. So, if it was someone that she knew, like her stepsister and her stepsister's husband showed up and said that they were going to take her somewhere, she'd probably be a lot more willing to go with them, even if their intentions were ill, but kind of covert with whatever secret plan they had with Sherry. Um, that is also a possibility. Obviously, with this case, which makes sense as to why it's a cold case, because the details are very tricky and there's not a whole lot of them. It doesn't really seem like there's too much evidence. Now, when they started getting into uh, the Miss Ryan case, um, yeah, Ryan Welch Anderson, that whole thing, I'm going to kind of omit that because it just doesn't really add up with the other evidence that's been provided and the case matter. The clothing, there's pictures on this website. Um, obviously, viewers probably can't see them, but the fabric, it straight up looks like a burlap sack. And the picture with that mentioned the pig standing over a dismembered head. I mean, of course it's possible, but it's one of those things that's just really hard to confirm. And with this case, the best that I can do for now is some sort of abduction. I'll even keep it general because it could have been a stranger and it also could have been some secret plot within the family. Although there's not a lot of details about other family members except for that one part that mentioned... Um, oh, here we go. That mentioned the stepsister and how Sherry's already stayed with her and their husband. And that was the year before, so that was in 1983. Um, of course, law enforcement received a tip that Sherry was spotted in the same area after she was reported missing. Okay. So after rereading it, that detail actually kind of matters um, because she stayed with them once in 1983. And then she was spotted there again in 1984 after her abduction. So the family abduction part could actually make sense how she could have been killed by someone that she knew. I still don't think she ran away. That part doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. But she very well could have been abducted by her stepsister or that side of the family. And they could have, you know, had some ill intent with her. Obviously, there's not a lot of details that would give them the motive to do that. From the last time she visited in 83. We don't know that, but from what is laid out on this page and in this case, that seems like a very possible course of action for what could have happened. But at the end of the day, you know, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that she ran away? 
Was she abducted by a stranger? Was she abducted by family? And was she killed by someone that she knew? I recommend you to look at this case. Obviously, just to reiterate, maybe you guys can look at yourself. It's the website is called the True Crime Files. So shout out to that because that's really it's a really cool site. Um, pretty recent too, actually 2020, but it's called the Disappearance of Sherry Marler. So if you guys want to look that up, kind of decide for yourselves. Feel free. Obviously, can't tell you what to do. It's on the internet. Um, all right. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a Fright Nights true crime episode without a moral of the story. Being that I've said and hounded on the last couple episodes that history kind of tends to repeat itself. Even when you look at crime, there's going to be a pattern. And what we've learned from this case that we can tie into other cases that we've talked about. Just, you know, watch your kids. Make sure if they're young, you give them the stranger danger talk. You don't let them wander around by themselves. Of course, you know, I'm quite young, didn't grow up in the 80s, and I'm sure a lot of you who have, you know, it was probably a different time. I've heard that before. I get it. But this case is a perfect example when when using like that comparative analysis for today's world as to why we cannot be doing that anymore. Unfortunately, we just don't live in a time where that is acceptable and that that is okay in a sense as a parent you know you can't just let your kids be by yourself you know home alone it's a different story but even that nowadays can be a little bit iffy obviously it's discretional but as long as you have a plan of action for if something like that does happen whether you prepare your kids for it you talk to them about it you do scenarios hell you could even go over True crime with them, you know, introduce them to the station. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll teach them. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, with that, the next episode will obviously be from another state. I probably won't do every case from every state. That's just very tedious, but I might do a couple. And honestly, we'll, we'll go from there. Obviously, this is a new idea, and I just kind of want to test the waters with it thought it was cool i think it'll add a lot of cool value to the to the station so okay now for some self-promotion please go check out the youtube channel you can find it just search fright nights and you'll find it on youtube there's also an instagram page and an email that is linked in the station's about page but i'm also trying to expand my youtube channel and make that the primary piece on the stage, if you will. This is kind of just the the side of it, something a little bit different that is more discussion-based versus narration-based, kind of a hybrid. With that, enjoy your night, enjoy your day, whatever time it may be, and we will see you on the next one.